0: All right, how's everybody doing this morning? Good, right on, right on. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. If you have a Bible, well, of course. What, where, where are we at in the Bible? Isaiah 53. It's where we're going to be for the next two weeks. But uh, Isaiah 53. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to that. If not, don't worry. We will have it on the screen. But uh, come on, do this. You might. For some reason, it's having a problem lately in reorienting itself. So let me try this again. There we go. All right. Obviously, I have a teenager who is into who? You see that? Who is that? Spider-Man. Come on, you guys. I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> so he does all my screensavers. I've got Spider-Man on one. I think i got Superman on another. I really need to talk to him about that. But anyway. <laughs> So good to see you. Let's go ahead and pray, and uh, let's get some encouragement from God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you're doing. I pray you'd open our hearts, Lord, to receive from the Word of God. Open our minds, Lord, to be fed spiritually. And God, help us, Lord, to celebrate once again the cross and the resurrection. That we would never forget that. That, that, that for us, that is the meaning of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A long time ago, in the Soviet Union, a lot of people don't remember this or maybe not realize this, but under the Soviet Union, atheism was the official religion. And so while they tolerated churches, they shut a lot of them down, they really minimized it. And it was a period of time where, particularly, the Russian Orthodox Church was quite restricted in what it could do, what it can teach. There weren't any new churches during that time and things like that and it was very much sort of um, uh, uh, understood to be under in a state of persecution. It was very difficult uh, to worship Jesus during the Soviet Union era in russia and so uh, at one one year it was it was quite a few years ago seventy or eighty years ago the Communist party they began to send out KGB agents to all of the nation 's churches to try to look for and round up dissidents because that's what a communist nation does. It suppresses all dissidents or all voices of opposition. And so one of the KGB agents went into one of the grander churches of Russia, and in this particular church, it had a nearly life-size, in fact, bigger than life-size, like a 10-foot statue of Jesus Christ on the cross, what we would call a crucifix. It was a very big, enlarged one. And as he watched this, he saw one of the older Russian women weeping at the feet of Jesus on the cross. And it disturbed him to see that. So he walked up to the woman and he said, Babushka, which means, old oh lady, no, it means grandma. <laughs> yeah. uh, Babushka, I think that's like, that's not that the greatest way to say grandma? I like that so much better than grandma. Babushka. Babushka, he said, are you also prepared to kiss the feet of our beloved general secretary of the great communist party? And she looked at him without menis- missing a beat and she said, sir, why, of course I am. But only if you crucify him first. <laughs> I want you to think about this for a moment. Buddha. Buddha moses muhammad krishna lenin all these people lived to ripe old ages but they didn't die for anybody their followers are devoted to their teachings but not their sacrifice big difference their followers are devoted to their teachings but not their sacrifice When it comes to Jesus, what makes Christians and Christianity unique on this planet is that we don't just love Jesus for what he said. We love Jesus for what he did for us and what he continues to do for us with his death on the cross. It is an ongoing doing. What Jesus did 2,000 years ago, it is still doing stuff today. And that's why we have a love for him that is unique on the planet. Because we don't just look at the gospels and say, Jesus taught this, that's great, we love him for it. It's, Jesus is still doing this in my life. And it's all through the power of the cross. You know, someone once asked me, what do the historical records say about Jesus? If you were to take away the Bible, take away church tradition, take away church, take away anything that has anything to do with Christianity, and just go totally secular and look for secular resources that make mention of Jesus. Would you find any? You absolutely would. If you look at the next slide, uh, you'll find kind of three examples that I put up there. And uh, there, you know, for people who will tell you, yeah, we don't even know if Jesus existed. We know that Jesus existed. Even beyond the Bible, even beyond the church, we know that Jesus Christ existed. And here are... Some of the people first of all flavius josephus on the left here he was a jewish historian uh, around the time of jesus and as he was chronicling those years he makes mention of jesus the one in the middle is a roman historian tacitus uh who makes mention of jesus and probably the greatest witness is emperor claudius himself mentions jesus in his own personal journals Now, I won't go through every single mention of them, but I'll tell you just to kind of summarize it. Here is what we know from outside of the Bible of what they say about Jesus. He was a common man who went about doing good. He couldn't be bribed, pressured, threatened, or intimidated. He was reported, remember, that's how they would word it. He was reported to have healed the sick, raised the dead, caused the blind to see, made the lame to walk and helped the poor. But every single one of them mentioned this, what I'm about to tell you, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Every extra biblical source alludes to this execution by the Roman authorities of Jesus. Now it begs the question, if Jesus was such a good guy, then how did he wind up on a Roman cross? You see, to understand God, you have to understand the cross. If you don't understand the cross, you won't understand God. To understand God, you have to understand the cross because it is the bridge that connects a holy God with sinful humanity. In fact, not only will we never understand God until we understand the cross, we'll never fully understand ourselves. Until we understand God and the cross. And perhaps no Old Testament chapter explains that and goes into that in such detail than Isaiah chapter 53. In fact, I think you will see it in such clarity, you will really wonder why the Jews did not pick up on this when Jesus first came. But as we read this, I want you to pay attention to something because Isaiah does something poetically in these next three verses and he emphasizes something for effect. When a writer emphasizes something for effect, he is trying to communicate something in the emphasis. And what Isaiah emphasizes is he uses words like this. He uses the words our. He uses the words we. He uses the words us. He says our pain. Our sufferings, our sorrows, we esteemed him not. Our sins, our diseases, uh, his punishment brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. When Isaiah is saying we are us, he's not simply talking about the Jews. He's not simply talking about the Romans. He's not simply talking about Americans. Isaiah is speaking what's called penultimately Which means he is speaking for all humanity. We, as all humanity, not only did this to Jesus, but received from Jesus. So remember as we read this, you are in the we, you are in the us, and so am I. All right, point number one. If you have a discussion sheet, you can go ahead and fill these in. Just three points this morning. But my first point, very important point, God is not the cause of pain and suffering. God is not the cause of pain and suffering. He's the solution. He's the solution. When Isaiah speaks of what Christ has done for us, he does not start with our sin. He starts with our pain and suffering. Uh, Let's go to the verse here. It says this. Verse number four, Isaiah 53 verse four says, surely he took up. Our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He took up our pain and bore our suffering. As opposed to he sent us pain and condemned us to suffering. The Bible's doing a real turn. Wait a minute. No, no, no. He didn't send us pain and condemn us to suffering. He took up our pain and bore our suffering. When Adam and Eve, remember the story of Adam and Eve, Right? one tree in the garden they weren't supposed to eat from and what did they do they ate from it right what happens exactly after adam and eve uh, eat from the forbidden fruit how did god respond to them did he scream at them no did he beat them no did he tell them that he didn't love them that he was ashamed of them no did he curse them Don't say yes. The answer to that is no. The answer to that is no. In fact, the Bible's very clear. God cursed the devil, not Adam. In fact, to Adam, he said, cursed is the ground because of you. Because of you, not because of God, but because of Adam. What is the ground? It is the earth. Who lives on earth? We do. And what did we do the earth? To the earth, with the devil's help, we brought, we, it is us, we are the we, we brought pain and suffering and illness and disease and death. Now, we do not have the power to simply rid ourselves of all that pain and suffering, and the devil has no intention of ending our pain and suffering on his own. We suffer because we live in a fallen world. We have sorrows because we ourselves are fallen people. God may allow pain and suffering temporarily, but that does not mean he is the author of it. He does not sit up there in heaven and kind of say to himself, hmm, let's see. Now, how can I hurt joy? Oh, I really want to hurt joy. Angels, let's get together. Let's come up with a list of five ways we can really hurt joy. That's not God. Some people have told me they feel that way. They feel like God is just up there writing a list of ways to hurt them. But that is a lie. It is not true. Because Isaiah 53, 4 says, He bore our pain and sufferings. He did not send them to us. When I think of suffering, I think of my good friend, and believe me, these days I think of him often, my friend, Pastor Wayne Gibson. Everybody remember Pastor Wayne? Amazing man of God. Toward the end of his life, he was telling me a lot about his experiences in Vietnam most of you know he was drafted into the war he spent 18 months in uh, basically a frontline unit he saw his friends getting killed and he did some killing of his own with his M16 and he began to share that with me and at one point he said it got so much he said I began to blame God for all of my traumas being drafted, being thrown into this hell on earth and living every day in traumatic fear. He said, I I felt like God was the cause of all this pain and suffering. But he said, it was in a foxhole when I heard the inner voice of God speak to me and say, Wayne, none of this is my doing. This war is not from me. None of this is my doing. And Wayne said, just shook me. He said, and then I heard something else. He said, I heard the Lord speak to me. And I know he shared this in a message, but I'm just reiterating it. Remember what he said? He said, God said to him in Vietnam, your pain will not have the final word. Your sorrows will not last forever. Your pain will not have the final word. And your sorrows will not last forever. Because Jesus has bore.'" Our pain and suffering. Number two. God is not punishing you. When you're in Christ, God is never punishing you. All that punishment went to Jesus on the cross. God is not punishing you. He is the solution to guilt. Verse five says this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. If you have a lack of peace, it's not because God is punishing you. This verse says it very clearly. The punishment that brings us peace was on him. It is not on you. It is not on us. So God's not the author of pain and suffering, nor does God punish us. In fact, he's the solution to guilt, not the author of it. Now, the Bible is clear. God may discipline us. God may use trials in our life to grow us, to, to sort of fashion us more into the image of Christ. God may use all of those things. In fact, we do that to ourselves, right? We exercise. Exercise is a discipline. We put our bodies through trial so that it will be healthier. We, we exercise. We try to eat right. We do the spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible study. Yes, some of the, not all of those are going to feel right in the moment, but there is a greater strength that we come out with. So yes, God may discipline us, but discipline is far different than punishment. It can feel the same of punishment, but it's not. Jesus took our guilt With him to the cross. Now here's the thing. I'll be honest with you. I could preach this the rest of my life. And twice on Sunday. There will be people. Who never accept what I'm about to say. You do not have to live. In fact God is asking you. Never to live guilty. Before him. I talk to people. Oh I was a drug addict. Oh, I beat some up real bad. Oh, I did this to my parents. Oh, we have an abortion in our history. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll I'll talk to some people and they'll tell me, no, no, Tom, Tom. That is good for a lot of your church people. For me, I have to live guilty because I'm guilty. And I say, you know, you don't have to. The truth is Jesus took that on the cross. In fact, I'm going to give you some things here that are out of a Christian counseling book. If we could go to the next slide. This is what it said about guilt. First of all, God does not use guilt. You know why? It don't work. It don't work at all. When I think of all the things I've overcome in my life, uh, areas of pride, areas of lust, anger and bitterness and all that, I can tell you this right now. It was never because God guilted me and I felt so guilty I just had to stop doing what I was doing. It didn't work for me. I doubt it'll work for you. It may work for you for a month, a year, maybe 10 years. Eventually, that guilt will fail you. And that's why God doesn't use it, because guilt will fail you every time. You know what transforms us? Mercy and grace. You know what? There will come a point in your life where you say, I just can't do that anymore. God loves me so much, and I love God. He's seen me through the highs and lows of my life. It ain't been an easy life, but God's always been there. I can't do that anymore. The only way I can describe this is one time I had a husband come to me. This was 20 years ago. So this was before the Internet. And and he was probably in his 70s at that point. And he said early in his life he had an addiction to magazines he shouldn't have been looking at. And he said, you know how I got over that addiction? My wife loved me and loved me and loved me and loved me. And pretty soon, I just couldn't do that to the woman who loved me so much. That's how it is with, like, God. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you, and and that love changes you Till pretty soon you just can't be that angry person anymore. You just can't be that bitter person anymore. You just can't be that violent person anymore. You just can't be that addicted person anymore. You just can't be that unfaithful person anymore because guilt don't work and God don't use guilt. The second thing is this. We feel guilty when we listen to Satan's accusation. The devil will come in and say, you gotta feel guilty for this, you should be guilty for that, and you're this and you're that. What is Satan trying to do? He's trying to have us forget the cross. Forget what Jesus did for you, and look what you did to God. And in those moments, you gotta say, you know what, forget what you're saying, I'm gonna remember what Jesus did for me, amen? The third thing, it is often people Who use guilt in order to manipulate and control. Many people struggle with guilt. Listen to this. Many of you out there and and listening online, you struggle with guilt for one reason and one reason alone. You were raised by adults who used guilt to manipulate and control you. And now it's what you know. So, as a parent, you try to use guilt to manipulate and control your parent or your kids. But here's the problem: God is not only our father, he's trying to be the example we should follow. If God doesn't use guilt on us, why should we use guilt on others, even our own children? Especially our own children. And then finally, number four, Christians should never use guilt because not only does it not work. But remember, Christians, we are followers of the Christ. And Jesus never uses guilt. Why? Because he was pierced for our guilt. He was crushed for our guilt. The punishment that brought us peace was placed on him. And by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. From what? From everything, everything that put him on the cross. Our sins, our disease, our pride, our lust, our anger, our addictions, but most importantly, our guilt. Amen? Amen? Number three. God will never abandon you. He sacrificed himself to get you back. Think of it. If God was ever going to abandon you, he would have done it a long time ago all right you know he would have done it a long time ago you may say what like when i was a baby nope before you even existed if god was going to abandon you he would have abandoned adam and eve he just said you know what you guys made a mistake i'm leaving this planet i can go make another earth with people who won't disobey me i'll just leave you to yourselves and after you blow up the planet well then you'll just be a memory God never abandoned us. In fact, look at this. Verse 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. This is kind of weird. You might not get this. But track with me. God didn't abandon you and will never abandon you. But for a brief moment on the cross, God did abandon Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment. God abandoned his own son that he loves as he hung in agony for a few hours on the cross. You may say, where do you have proof of that? Why do you think Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. God turned his back on Jesus for a small sliver in time so that he would never turn his back on you oh don't you love him isn't that isn't that awesome does that not blow you away about god i was speaking at a youth retreat youth camp in montana and montana has a lot of sheep ranches used to be a lot of cattle sheep have taken over and uh do you know what a montana shepherd spends most of his time doing mending fences because sheep more than horses more than cows more than chickens sheep will try to find that one little hole in the sheep pen and get out of it now unlike a horse or a cow or a chicken when sheep get out of the sheep pen what do they do they run they gone they are out of there When sheep get out of the sheep pen, they start going and they cannot find their way back. This is why Jesus says in verse 6 we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to our own way. That's what a sheep does. They don't go off, they don't run off often in herds, they run off in a big scattered mess. The Bible compares us to sheep, and by nature, we want to get out of God's sheep pen. Man, nobody wants to be told what to do. Nobody wants, you know, everybody kind of wants to be the, you know, the, the, the bad boy or the mean girl or the popular kid or the cool guy, you know. We, and if that means getting out of God's sheep pen, then that's exactly what we'll do. It's as if this sin is in our programming. It is. And that's why Isaiah says, The Lord has laid upon him... All of our rebellion, all of our don't tell me what to do, all of our get out of my way, it's my way or the highway, all of that was laid on Jesus. Imagine for a moment that my sins are listed here in a book like this. It's this a pretty thick book. It's the thickest book, thickest book I could find in the Bible. Here's a record of my life's sins right here. I am just one person at one point in time in humanity. These are my sins. What the Bible says, when it says, laid the sins upon him, upon means like a yoke, upon his shoulders. So Jesus is literally hanging on the cross like this, and he's got the weight of our sins on his shoulders. And if you look very closely, you'll see your book, you'll see my book, you'll see Billions of books laid upon Jesus as he's hanging on the cross with a billion plus books of sins upon his shoulders. And Jesus held out as long as he could. And then he died. You know why he died? Because of these. You know who made these? We did. You know what God did? God laid all of these on Jesus so that he would take up our pain and suffering, our punishment, and that we would never be abandoned by him. That's what Jesus did for us. In this season, I don't just want to remember it. I want to be changed once again by it. Whatever COVID has done to us this year, we need to crucify it, put it with Jesus on the cross, and get back to ushering in this last great final revival as we see God's people rise up in love and mercy and in grace just as our Father deals with us in love and mercy and grace. It's very easy, life, where you don't cross over from bad to good. That's not what it's about. That you cross over from death to life. That the sin that separates you from God separates you no longer as you ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. And let his cross be your cross. And his resurrection be your resurrection. So let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for taking my sins to the cross. I confess right now I'm a sinner. I need you. And I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I pray that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit, that your death would be my death, that your resurrection is my resurrection. I look forward to life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.